0: welcome to the tech meme ride home for thursday october 4th 2018 i'm brian mccullough today did china pull off a hardware hack to end all hardware hacks is a new nintendo switch coming as soon as next summer the thing has five cameras on one phone and movie pass update still alive here's what you missed today in the world of tech This morning in a lengthy cover story, Bloomberg Businessweek outlined what it says is perhaps the biggest hardware and supply chain hack in history. According to extensive sourcing and reporting, agents from China's People's Liberation Army inserted tiny chips into products produced by U.S.-based motherboard giant Supermicro. It would be useful for you to click over to the link to this story in the show notes to see what we're talking about here. When I say tiny chip, I'm talking tiny. So tiny as to be undetectable in the maze of doodads on a motherboard. Pull out a penny and look at Abe Lincoln's ear. The chips were about that size. These chips were inserted onto motherboards that were then used to run servers, and those servers were used at almost 30 U.S. companies like Amazon and Apple. Again, the company that manufactured the motherboards was US based Supermicro. Quote, think of Supermicro as the Microsoft of the hardware world, a former US intelligence official said in the piece. Attacking Supermicro motherboards is like attacking Windows, it's like attacking the whole world, end quote. And of course, Supermicro motherboards were manufactured in China, which is how these chips were inserted during the manufacturing process. Quoting extensively from the piece, The chips on elemental servers were designed to be as inconspicuous as possible, according to one person who saw a detailed report prepared for Amazon by its third-party security contractor, as well as a second person who saw digital photos and X-ray images of the chips incorporated into a later report prepared by Amazon's security team. Gray or off-white in color, they looked more like signal conditioning couplers, another common motherboard component, than microchips, and so they were unlikely to be detectable without specialized equipment. Depending on the board model, the chips varied slightly in size, suggesting that the attackers had supplied different factories with different batches, end quote. But what exactly would these chips do? Quote, since the implants were small, the amount of code they contained was small as well, but they were capable of doing two very important things. Telling the device to communicate with one of several anonymous computers elsewhere on the internet that were loaded with more complex code. And preparing the device's operating system to accept this new code. The illicit chips could do all this because they were connected to the baseboard management controller, a kind of superchip that administrators use to remotely log in to problematic servers, giving them access to the most sensitive code, even on machines that have crashed or are turned off. This system could let the attackers alter how the device functioned line by line, however they wanted, leaving no one the wiser. To understand the power that would give them, take this hypothetical example. Somewhere in the Linux operating system, which runs in many servers, is code that authorizes a user by verifying a typed password against a stored encrypted one. An implanted chip can alter part of that code so the server won't check for a password, and presto. A secure machine is open to any and all users. A chip can also steal encryption keys for secure communications, block security updates that would neutralize the attack and open up new pathways to the internet, end quote. The piece says that U.S. officials have caught China experimenting with hardware tampering like this in the past, but they have never seen anything at this scale. Frankly, this piece is mind-boggling, and it's well worth reading the whole thing. Supposedly, this unit of the Chinese PLA that U.S. intelligence has been tracking for a while threatened factory managers that if they didn't cooperate and install the chips on boards destined for the U.S., their factories could be shut down. There are all sorts of knock-on effects as well. Amazon apparently recently sold its Chinese server business, and the piece suggests it was because it felt it had been compromised in some similar fashion. And Apple reportedly removed all Supermicro servers from its data centers back in 2015. The Pentagon has also met with tech companies to warn them of this ongoing issue. The piece ends this way, quote, In the three years since the briefing in McLean, no commercially viable way to detect attacks like the one in Supermicro's motherboards has emerged, or has looked likely to emerge. Few companies have the resources of Apple and Amazon, and it took some luck, even for them, to spot the problem, end quote. Now, a quick P.S. on this. This morning, Amazon, Apple, Supermicro, and the Chinese government have all issued statements disputing the allegations in this Businessweek story. And when I say disputing, I should really say categorically denying for example, Apple's statement read, quote, On this, we can be very clear. Apple has never found malicious chips, hardware manipulations, or vulnerabilities purposely planted in any server. Apple never had any contact with the FBI or any other agency about such an incident. We are not aware of any investigation by the FBI, nor are our contacts in law enforcement, end quote. To which Kevin Van Haren responded, quote, I don't think I've ever seen a flat-out denial of anything from Apple. Even the AntennaGate response was basically, yeah, that happens, but you can avoid it. You can't walk back that statement at all, end quote. To which Rene Ritchie tweeted, that's the thing. If Bloomberg got it wrong, it's a bloody nose. If Apple, Amazon, etc. PR are misleading, it's a body blow. I'd say it's worse, but things that ended careers decades ago barely get remembered days later now, end quote. So there is a huge ongoing debate right now on Hacker News and other places around the internet, weighing the veracity and or the possible impact of this huge story. And here's some more infosec news with geopolitical implications. The US Department of Justice has indicted 7 GRU officers with charges relating to cyber attacking around the world. The GRU is Russia's military intelligence agency. Among the incidents that this particular cyber squad is alleged to have been involved with, quote, The Netherlands has accused four Russians of plotting to hack the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons, which had been probing the chemical attack on a Russian ex-spy in the U.K. The U.K. government accused the GRU of being behind four high-profile cyber attacks, whose targets included firms in Russia and Ukraine, the U.S. Democratic Party, and a small TV network in the U.K., the U.S. said its anti-doping agency and the U.S. nuclear energy company, Westinghouse, were targeted by Russian intelligence. Canada said with high confidence that breaches at its Center for Ethics in Sports and the Montreal-based World Anti-Doping Agency were carried out by Russian intelligence. Added to this, the Dutch authorities have said a laptop seized from the four suspects in April was found to have been used in Brazil, Switzerland, and Malaysia, end quote. Sounds like these guys sure do get around. The Wall Street Journal is reporting that Nintendo plans to release a new version of its popular Switch gaming console sometime in the latter half of 2019, but possibly as soon as the summer. Quote, Nintendo is still debating what new hardware and software features to include in the upgrade and weighing the cost of the features, people with knowledge of the discussion said. One option is improving the display, they said. The current Switch uses a lower-end liquid-crystal display without some technologies that are standard in more recent smartphone LCDs. Updating the display with these technologies would make it brighter, thinner, and more energy-efficient, end quote. Nintendo officials declined to comment. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ka-ching. As you know, I still run the first company I ever founded 25 years ago entirely on Shopify these days. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launcher online shop stage to the first real-life store stage all the way to the did we just hit a 1000000 order stage. Shopify is there to help you grow the whole way. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling. Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers, with the Internet's best converting checkout 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is that you can take any business to the next level, even 25-year-old ones, but especially 25-day-old ones. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com ride, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com ride now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash ride. I'm going to a big AI startup demo day here in the city tomorrow, and I will 100% be decked out in Mac Weldon clothing. Why? Well, Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes, but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day, that's their air knit underwear. Crazy, comfortable, but elevated sweatpants, the Ace Collection, an upgraded classic Polo with antimicrobial silver threads, the silver peak polo, that's my personal fave, and ultra soft antimicrobial tees for when you need to stay fresh longer. Their silver crew neck t-shirt. Get timeless looks with Modern Comfort from Mack weldon Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code RIDE. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code RIDE. The LG V40 ThinQ is out. Don't at me, people. The pronunciation of this smartphone is ThinQ, not think, but, you know, whatever. Call it whatever you want. This is the phone that has the five-lens camera system, though it also has a 6.4-inch Quad HD display, 6 gigabytes of RAM, and a Snapdragon 845. But it's those five cameras that everybody talks about when they talk about this phone. So how do they work? Dan Seifert at The Verge says, it's like having a camera bag full of lenses built right into your phone. Quote, the V40 gives you a more versatile camera than any other smartphone available right now. You can go from taking standard snaps to ultra-wide vistas to close-up portraits in just a matter of taps on your screen. LG has built in some clever features to its camera app to make the most of the three cameras as well. Long pressing on the different zoom buttons, brings up a live thumbnail of each lens's field of view. So you can easily see what the other cameras can capture before you take a snap. There's even a mode called triple shot, which will take a picture from all three cameras in just one press of the shutter. So if you're really indecisive about which camera to use, you can just shoot all three of them, end quote. He gives it a Verge score of eight. The LG V40 is available for pre-order today starting at $900. In an effort to cut around $10 billion in costs, Verizon is essentially outsourcing a huge chunk of its IT systems to Indian outsourcing giant Infosys. And Verizon has offered voluntary severance packages to about 44,000 employees, or more than a quarter of the telecom company's entire workforce. Quoting from the Wall Street Journal, the severance packages will give Verizon, quote, an opportunity to find more efficiencies in the size and scope of our V-team and help expedite the building of an innovative operating model for our future. Chief Executive Hans Vesterberg wrote in a memo sent to employees last week and reviewed by the Journal, end quote. Brad Sams snarked on Twitter. Every good decision starts with outsourcing your core infrastructure. looking at things from one angle, the internet era has been basically a long-running saga of nimble internet companies disrupting stodgy old offline companies, right? I mean, Netflix slew Blockbuster, Napster almost took down an entire industry. But the company that was maybe the first to face internet disruption was the first company that was Amazoned, as it were. I'm speaking, of course, of Barnes & Noble. Now, Amazon hasn't killed the bookstore. It did kill Borders, of course, but Borders had bigger financial issues. And I'm not saying that Barnes & Noble has been killing it lately, but it hasn't exactly been on life support either. And hey, it's survived doing battle with Amazon and others these last 20 years, which is more than I can say for Circuit City. But perhaps the oldest grudge match with internet disruption is reaching some sort of an endgame. CNBC is reporting that Barnes & Noble is naming a special committee to look at strategic alternatives including a possible sale after receiving interest from multiple parties, perhaps keen on the retailer that has more than 600 stores across the U.S. This news sent Barnes & Noble stocks soaring this morning, more than 20 percent, quoting CNBC in the first quarter, ending July 28th. Barnes & Noble said total revenue declined 6.9 percent, while sales at those stores open for at least 12 months, fell 6.1 percent from a year ago. Its same store sales have fallen for 20 of the last 23 quarters, end quote. After today's share rise, Barnes & Noble has a market cap of roughly $400 million. So a mere drop in the bucket for, I don't know, who do you think would be a logical acquirer of Barnes & Noble for just the real estate, perhaps? Actually, I could think of several companies, but you know who I mean. finally today, let's check in with MoviePass. Prognosis? Still not dead. Ted Farnsworth, CEO of Helios & Matheson, MoviePass's parent company, told a conference that the company has secured $65 million in new funding just last month, but Farnsworth declined to say who the funding was from, which is an odd thing since aren't they a publicly traded company? And... It, quote, seems like the company's restrictions on memberships have helped achieve MoviePass's counterintuitive goal. Its customers aren't heading to the movies that often anymore. Speaking at the Grill 2018 conference, the CEO Matheson said that, quote, people are going to less than one movie a month. So technically, subscription alone right now is doing just fine. Now it's tacking on all the other things on top of it, he said, end quote. So all those changes that MoviePass recently made to their monthly plans, which now give you a mere three movie tickets a month instead of one a day, has stemmed the immediate bleeding, it seems, but one does wonder if it has done so at the cost of what consumers responded to in the first place, right? Of course, I think a large part of what consumers responded to all along was a deal that we all knew intuitively was probably too good to be true. Still, apparently, the company has the breathing room to figure things out, As Engadget headlined the piece I just quoted from, MoviePass's new funding means it isn't going anywhere just yet. That is all for today, people. As always, I've been Brian McCullough. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at BrianMCC. And by the way, since our subscriber numbers went up about 20% last month in September. And FYI to any new listeners or anyone who hasn't done so before, feel free to rate and review this podcast anywhere you can, but especially on Apple Podcasts and Google Play or whatever Google Podcasts. I can't remember what their current branding is. And feel free to tweet and post about us wherever you'd like to spread the word, just like James McLeod did last night. Thanks, as always, for any kind words when you feel like sharing them. Because spreading the word helps us build our mutant podcast army, right? Talk to you tomorrow.